You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. We hope that what you're about to hear will bless you and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. We hope that it will strengthen you in faith and that it will help you better understand and better recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. share a story with you and then um, some verses to go along with it. So there was a man named Jack uh, driving down a dark country road when he got a flat tire. He saw a cabin in the woods and began to walk towards it. He then began to tell himself, the person who answers the door is probably going to be mean, probably going to be upset at me because I, I opened the door. You know, he was, he, was, he was making all these ideas up and he didn't even know the person. He thought he even, in fact, the person might even try to harm him. So by this point, Jack was almost to the cabin. He gets to the door, he knocks, the person opens it, he punches him and runs away. So the point of that is, in Proverbs 15, 15, it says, All the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. So we take situations and we play them in our minds. We have conversations with people that we don't even know before we even get the chance to meet them or, or speak to them. And we tend to uh, curse and rehearse stories like Jack's. So in Proverbs 13.3, it also says that those who guard their lips preserve their lives, and those who speak rashly will come to ruin. So instead of complaining or making these rash thoughts, um, you have to retrain yourself to think differently. Um, The Bible also says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable, think on these things. The Bible does not tell you to try and think on these things, but it allows you to choose what you let your your mind dwell on. Um, so battle your, uh, your um, tough or negative thoughts through prayer, speak Bible verses or speak the truth uh, because this will begin to confuse your mind and uh, help it to rethink um, your thoughts, I guess. <laughs> um, so don't let your thoughts or things in your life cause you to come to ruin. All right, all right. So we're going to talk about how we're going to win our war. We're going to talk about how we're going to win our war tonight. And, uh, you know, I've never been a big history person, especially in school. I hated history. It was, to me, it was one of the most boring subjects. It's already over with. Nothing we can do about it. Let's move on. The history is boring. The future is where it's at. Um, But but over time, I've I've come to to have some interest in in, uh, some history, certain things in history. War really has kind of caught my attention. And specifically, when I think of war, the most, the most interesting war to me is, is the Cold War, really, which is such a different thing than any other war, you know? So I've been, I've been listening and, and, and kind of learning all this stuff about the Cold War. And first of all, most, most of you, you probably know why it's called the Cold War, right? Why, why it's a Cold War? Maybe not. Just in case you don't know, it's called a Cold War because there wasn't bombs going off. <laughs> it, was not a, it was not a shooting war. It was not... It was not a live action war, really. Everything was everything was 
threats. Everything was spies. Everything was was plans and technology and just you know it was it was a war without any any actual fighting. But so the Cold War is super cool though because that you know most of us most of us guys like we grow up like imagining someday that we're gonna be James Bond that we're gonna be spies when we grow up. And, you know, so the Cold War was the time when, when spies, you know, ruled. When that's, that's the most important thing was intelligence. They were growing the intelligence agencies. They were, you know, the, the CIA and the FBI that were kind of created during the real wars, uh, they started flourishing during this time. They became the center stage. Instead of the military, it was really all about these intelligence agencies. And it was all about growing technology. It was about the space race and seeing who could put the most satellites in space, put the first man on the moon, who had... You know, they started building nuclear weapons in mass and just uh, and mutually assured destruction that they knew, like, okay, we got to build more bombs because then we can destroy them first. No, now, now they've got so many bombs, we're all going to kill each other. We had, we had nations building these insane, you know, uh, chemical warfare weapons. They were trying to find ways to, to beat off any anti-venoms, any, any serums. You know, they were, they were coming up with all these, all these crazy ideas, and most of them were not even getting put to use. But there were spies, there were, there were counter spies, there were double agents. It was just really an interesting time. And it really, it really compares a lot to, to our battle uh, with the devil. Because, you know, really, it's not always a shots fired game. A lot of times, the battle's really going on behind the scenes and you don't know it. A lot of times, he, he's, got, he's got a plan of mutually assured destruction. He already knows he's going to lose the battle. What he wants to do is to take us down with him. He, uh, it's a battle of ideologies. See, that's really, the Cold War was all about, you know, America fighting communism, really. FBI, uh, you know, was, was that, that was their main purpose back then, was just to, to stop communism in America and abroad. That was their main purpose. They, they saw it under every bush, you know, they saw, they saw every movement as a, as communism popping up, and they were, and they were fighting it here and abroad. They were fighting it in Hollywood. They were fighting it in, in, uh, civil liberties they were fighting everywhere they went they were they were looking for communists and they were finding them and they were they were infiltrating their ranks and they were spying on them and in the same way you know our battle is a battle of ideologies between between god's truth and what the devil wants us to believe what the devil wants us to think like what the devil wants us to to live like so how are we going to win our battle because we wrestle not against flesh and blood we wrestle against principalities powers rulers of darkness of this age romans 8 31 through 37 is going to be our focus today. Romans 8, 31 through 37. In verse 31, it says, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we're going to be looking at seven things today that we have that are going to help us win this war and every battle that we face along the way. Number one, we have sanction because God is for us. 
Number two, we have solidarity because he did not spare his own son. Number three, we have supply because will he not also graciously give us all things? Number four, we have surety because it is God who justifies. Number five, we have support because he is also interceding for us. Number six, we have sanctity because who, I'm not sanctity, I'm sorry, security because who shall separate us from the love of God? And number seven, we have supremacy. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. So, number one, sanction. Now, that, that one I feel like I need to define a little bit um, because there's, there's actually two kinds of sanctions, and they're kind of the opposite of each other. So there's, there's sanctions like are put on Iran right now. Like we hear a lot about the, Iran, the, the deal with Iran that Obama made, that Trump's thinking about going back on, that they, you know, they've been dealing with these things for years and years. Um, but they they put sanctions on Iran because during the Cold War we made deals like the nuclear non-proliferation treaties, and we said you know don't build nukes like we've got enough nukes to kill everybody let's just stop there and stop building more the big powers all have them we'll protect everybody and we'll, we just we the fear is the fear always was really that one of the little guys is going to get it because Russia America we're not going to bomb each other because if one starts something the other's going to finish it and we're all going to die there was literally. There was one time when they were sitting in, in a bunker in Russia during the Cold War, and uh, they're watching their screens. You know, they have, they have people just down there all the time, just waiting, making sure that, you know, if, that America wasn't shooting at them, because if they were, they were going to shoot back, and they were getting ready. And one day, the alarms go off, and they, they see a nuke coming towards Russia, and they get the order down the line, you know, like, like this is what you're supposed to do when this happens. You're supposed to fire back. And so there's one guy in charge, you know, captain, I'm not sure exactly what his rank was, but he's in charge and he's supposed to make that call and tell everybody, everybody's looking at him like, what do we do? And he's like, wait, maybe not, you know, and, and like they're seeing nukes come towards Russia and, and the only at this point, it's like, okay, we're probably going to die, but we've kind of come to this conclusion that if we're going to die, we're going to take them with us. And he's looking at it like, just maybe it's wrong. And it keeps coming, keeps coming. And he holds off. He kind of does what he's not supposed to do because he's supposed to shoot back with nuclear weapons. But he holds off, and it turns out it was a flock of birds that had fooled their sensors, and they thought it was a nuke. The world almost ended over a flock of birds. Um, so, but what they were really afraid of wasn't each other shooting at each other, but they were afraid that, okay, what about if the little countries start getting nuclear weapons, and they want to they play like they're big dogs, and they want to they start some trouble? And, you know, then we can't just destroy the whole world. Then we've got little battles going, and they're not afraid of anything. We get terrorists with nuclear bombs. And that's really what happened after Russia shut down their nuclear programs because they just left stuff all over the place. And people would just come in and find stuff and start selling it on the black market. And so Iran starts building nuclear weapons, along with other problems that, you know, that Iran had and other uh, events that caused sanctions. But, but America, the European Union, the UN, they all put sanctions on Russia. I mean, not on Russia, on Iran. They put sanctions on them saying, you know, you're not going to trade in any bank. This is, this is like America's one. Like, hey, you can't use the U.S. dollar. You can't trade with any bank that uses the U.S. dollar. You're shut off from us. And by the way, if you're shut off from us, you're shut off from the world. Good luck. Um, you know, we, we're like, no, we're not buying their oil. Their oil sales drop in half. You know, we, we, we just kind of shut them down and put them into a place where their economy is going to crash and they better, you know, come to the table and start making a deal with us. That is sanctions. You didn't follow the law, and here's the punishment that's on you. That's, that's a sanction. But there's another kind of sanction, too. Like, 
a sanctioned war. When when the government and the law says you we give you permission, we give you orders, we're saying go do this. This is your this is your job, this is your mission. Well, you were under sanctions like Iran, by the way. You were under the law, and the law was against you, by the way. The handwriting of requirements of law, which was against you, the Bible says. You were under sanctions, but God brought you out from under those sanctions because he nailed them to the cross, and instead he sanctioned you for something. You have a mission. Now, there's a couple of guys that, that were on a mission from God. One was named Jake Blues. And... Uh, Jake and Elroy, you know, they they got out of, they, one of them gets out of jail, and so the next thing, you guys know who I'm talking about, first of all. All right, so after cussing a nun out, they, they end up in church, and they, they get a vision from God that they need to put the band back together, and they need to save their orphanage, and nothing is going to stop them once they're on a mission from God. The police may chase them through a mall. They may chase them down the street. They may be chased by the KKK or an insane ex-girlfriend with a, with a bazooka on her back, you know, but nothing is going to stop them because... They're on a mission from God. <laughs> That's good stuff right there. You know that. But you have a purpose now, and nothing's going to stop you because God's for you. So you have something to live for. You're no longer under sanctions. You are sanctioned by God to go out in the world. You have a mission, and your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to be the light of the world. Now, they're going to say that you're unqualified. They're going to try to remind you of your past. They're going to try to stop you, but you're sanctioned and it's backed up by the highest authority. God chose you. So forget what they say. Forget your past and press on towards the mark of the high calling. Number two, solidarity. So we are sanctioned. We have sanction and we have solidarity. He who did not spare his own son. We do not have a high priest who is unfamiliar with our weakness, the Bible said. There's a, there's a man named Dan Price. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, he ran, ran a company called Gravity Payments. And he was making, you know, good money. The, the economy kind of went downhill and uh, business started making less money. He decided to be responsible. You know, I need to cut some corners here. I need to pay my employees less. I can't, I can't pay what I used to. Economy bounces back and he's still kind of hesitant. So he leaves his employees pay down low. He's making a, he's making a salary of $1.1 million dollars year. That's great. Um, someday, maybe. Um, no, <laughs> maybe. All right. But uh, but so he's making $1.1 million a year. And one day he's out and he sees one of his employees and he just looks angry, looks sad. And he's like, what's wrong? And he's like, I think you're taking advantage of me. He's like, what? You know, and the guy kind of tells him off for, for the amount that he's paying him. And he goes back and he starts telling people like, this guy told me like, I'm paying him pretty good. I've checked the market. Like that's, it's fair. You know, and, but the more he talks about it, the more he just stops and thinks about it. He's like, you know what? Like, the economy's changed. I need, I understand what they're going through. He's like, I, you know what? So he made a decision, and this is, this is not like a mandate. This is not a request for you to do this with your businesses or whatever you're in. But this guy made a personal decision that he wanted to do something better for his employees. He wanted each one of them to make $70,000 a year. Instead of, I think he was paying them like thirty-five dollars for the bottom, bottom of the end. Uh, but he decided, you know what? I think for them to live in this area, for them to not be, you know, struggling and depressed and, and barely making it through. He's like, I think they need to make $70,000 a year. Looks at the budget. Can't really do it. It's like, well, I'm going to find a way one way or another. We're going to cut into our profits. We're going to cut into my pay. And he cut his own pay from $1.1 million to $70,000 a year and raised all of his employees' pay up to $70,000 a year. Suddenly, he's on the exact same level as them. 
Suddenly he's, he's living life the way that they're living life. And that's really what God did for you, that the king of the universe left his throne in heaven, came down and was a baby with a poopy diaper. You know, he had to listen to his mom and obey his mom when, when he obviously knew better, you know. Uh, he knew better. I mean, come on, he's Jesus, you know. Mary's great and all, but I think Jesus knew better. But he had to obey his mom and dad. He had to go through everything we've gone through. He had to be tempted as we were tempted. He had experienced pain like we experienced pain. He watched, you know, his dad die. We don't know the story, but but we know he wasn't alive at the end. So he watched, you know, he lost his father. He experienced disgrace. He experienced humiliation. He experienced death on the cross. Jesus is not a king who stays far from the battle. He was attacked in every way you are. Now listen, when the Bible says he was tempted in every way, it says he was tempted in every way. Some of you are like, man, like nobody's been tempted like me. Like, like this, the things that go through my mind, no, Jesus, Jesus was attacked by the devil. See, the things that are going through your mind, that's the devil. It's your job to kick those things out and to take authority over your mind, to control your mind. Mind control is real and it's difficult, but you can do it. You can control your own mind. But Jesus has been through the same temptations as you. He's been where you're at, and he can bring you through. We have solidarity. Number three, we have supply. That's important in a battle, isn't it? You cut off supply, that army's going down. Will he not also graciously give us all things? We have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, there's an old joke that there's a, a you know, sorry, blondes. I know it's not the 90s anymore, but uh, can I tell a blonde joke? There was a blonde, a redhead, and a brunette that were stranded on a desert island. You know, they had just crashed there, and they were all alone, far, far, far from land. And, uh, you know, suddenly, walking along the beach, they found a, a genie in a bottle. They rubbed, they rubbed the lamp, you know, genie came out, and he said, I will grant each one of you one wish. And, you know, so the redhead goes first and says, well, I, I want to go home. She's gone. The brunette says, I want to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> like, let's go to a beach where there's some people, <laughs> you know. And boom, she's gone. Did I say the blonde? Okay, good. Sometimes I forget what, I, what I'm talking about. So the blonde's left alone on the beach, and she's just looking around. says, I sure wish they were back. <laughs> Um, now God is not a genie in a bottle okay but he says if you ask you will receive and you know why because there's a difference between a genie in the bottle and God you know what God a general is never going to send his army out and not supply what they need he's not going to you know we send our armies we're going to send them with good stuff and we're going to keep we're going to keep sending out the best stuff to take care of them. We're going to keep sending out new technology. We're going to keep them fed. We're going to make sure that we can do everything we can to get that stuff to them because they're on a mission from us. Well, you're on a mission from God, and God is going to take care of you. God's, God takes care of the flowers of the field. He takes care of the birds of the air. He's going to take care of you. Listen, so you're not rubbing a genie in a bottle and making a wish, but when you ask your father, he's going to give you every good thing. Surety. Surety. Let's define that real quick. A person who takes responsibility for another's performance, 
of an undertaking. For example, their appearing in court or the payment of debt. For instance, when you, uh, you co-sign on a car loan for your kids and they don't pay the bill, you have to, right? This is about, you have surety because Jesus paid your debts. And this is about not just your past, this is about your future. Jesus is surety for you. He is the one standing before God saying, he's got this, I'll vouch for him. The Bible says, it says, just so you know, if you need a refresher here, where I'm getting that from is the Bible, this verse said that he is the one who justifies. So, but Jesus is vouching for you before the Father right now. He's justifying you. He's justifying you for the wrongs of your past. He's justified you for the mistakes of your future. He's paid your debts once and for all. When you're on a mission, you want that rep- representation. You want some no, to know that somebody back home has your back. That it's not going to turn into a black op and they're going to suddenly say, no, I didn't know. I didn't know him. You know, that's so many Christians fear, right? Is that God, they're all like, man, I just want to come before God and say that I never knew you. It's not a black op, guys. You have surety. You have surety. God, God has justified you once and for all. Grace got you into this, and grace will keep you. Now, uh, America has, what is it, $21 trillion plus dollars of, of national debt. And, uh, you know, that's, about, that's actually about four times, I think, and it's approximate, but about four times as much as our personal debt. Now, we have between credit cards, student loans, medical bills, this, that adds up to about four times that. So, so forget the government. We've got enough debt of our own. Like America, that's that's debt for like you know years and years. But a lot of our debt, you know, we've already b- gone bankrupt a bunch of times, wiped that out. But we're still still accruing it at a huge rate. Student debt tops one trillion dollars, which is significantly more than all the credit card debt in the world. You just go to college if you want to get in debt. Um, medical debt is the number one cause of bankruptcy in America. We, we spend well, little, like, I know everybody has different opinions on politics. I'm not going to really get into that. But I think we can all agree we've got some problems with our medical system and the way we do things in America because we spend more per person. Our government spends more per person on medical care than any nation in the whole world. However, we still have to pay for insurance more than most places in the world. And after, after the government pays more than anywhere in the world and we pay for insurance, then we pay those medical bills that are adding up to $1 trillion. Or not $1 trillion, I'm sorry, that was the credit card debt, but we add, or the student loan debt. But we, we have just major money in the medical, in the medical uh, field, but it's just causing people to go bankrupt all the time in America. Uh, let's see, it was, I have a number here. 643,000 Americans each year file bankruptcy because of medical debt. Woo! That's a painful number. 2.9 trillion. There you go. That's the actual number of medical debt. Now, one of the scariest types of of debt is payday loans. Because payday loans, by the way, there's there's more payday loan places in America than there are McDonald's. It's quite an industry. And it's tar- it targets people who don't have enough money or don't have good enough credit to even get a credit card. Like, like these people don't have it good enough to get a credit card. They don't have it good enough to, to get a loan for anything else. 
but these places will loan you money and at a great interest rate. I mean, like right with credit card, we're talking, you know, like 12, 20, maybe, maybe terrible, you know, like 30% APR. You go to a payday loan place, you're paying 300 plus percent APR. You're paying, you're paying out the ears. And if you go, they know you're going to come back. You're going to be back in two weeks because you got that money early and now you've spent it. Then you get your paycheck and you don't have money again. So a week later, you're already out of money and you have to go back for another loan from the payday place. And you're just, and you, and you know, that interest takes away even more of your finances. And it's, it's really, it's, it's kind of a scary industry, but I, I've experienced the, the crushing weight of debt. <laughs> I've experienced what it feels like to just feel like, oh my gosh, how am I ever you know, going to pay this stuff off? How am I ever going to get through this? And, uh, you know, I could, if, you, if you've been there, I can relate to you, okay? <laughs> we can relate to each other. But we have a debt that we could not pay. Like, listen, with these medical bills, like they're, they're going bankrupt to get, it, get rid of it. America, we don't know how we're getting, we're just not even going to bother trying to get out of debt, you know? But we have a debt that we could not pay spiritually but Jesus paid that debt Jesus paid our debt Jesus justified us don't try to pay that debt on your own because you cannot make it grace got you into it and grace will keep you too so it's not just for your past it is for your future your debt will never will never accrue again because now whenever you whenever you draw the bible says you can boldly approach the throne of grace to find to find mercy in time of need. So you're drawing from an endless well of God's goodness. So you have surety with Jesus. And you have support. Number five, you have support for every battle in your life. Because in our weakness, he is strong. It says that he is also interceding for us, that, that he is before the Father interceding for us. Sometimes we go through times where we're so at the end of our rope that we can't even pray. Have you ever been there? Like, you're, it's, it's so rough. You're like, I can't even, can't even pray. By the way, that's one of the great things about speaking in tongues. If you don't do it, man, let's, let's pray for you for that because that is a gift because, man, sometimes you don't know what, you don't know what to say. And the Bible says that. Sometimes you don't even know what to say, but you just begin to pray in the spirit, let, let God pray through you. And even when you're not doing that, Jesus is making intercession for you. God is praying for you. God is, is taking care of it for you. You have support. I could not have made it through this week, by the way, without a lot of support. So this has been, this has been a insane, busy week for me, both with a lot of stuff going on with work. Then, then, uh, we had the Magnolia festival this weekend, my business, we decided to put a booth out there this year. So, you know, we planned way in advance to do that. And then we realized, okay, at the same time, we're going to have a couple, you know, baseball games going on. They scheduled our daughter's dance recital and dress rehearsal at the same time. Our kids want to go to the carnival at the same time. And oh, wait, yeah, it's Youth Sunday. I'm going to be preaching in the morning. So I'm like, you know, trying to get through work and get everything done. And I'm like, okay, now I need to get ready for, for the service on Sunday. I need to prepare. And then I'm asleep. Um, and, you know, and then the next day I'm like, okay, I got to run, 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 run. And think, you know, and start. And I could not have made it through the week. We, we literally could not have done everything we did without Tamara, you know, babysitting the kids for us. Thank you. 
Whitney putting up with me, you know, staying out late and waking up early and disappearing all the time. Without Dylan, I wish he was here, but Dylan running the booth for me most of the time at the Magnolia Festival. Like, support coming from all different directions. Abby even helping us load up stuff in the van because we were, we were, see, literally, I ran from the carnival to unload the, the Magnolia Festival stuff. We unloaded stuff at Dylan's house, went and got dinner around 11 o'clock at night last night. Then I, then I started working on this sermon more because I wasn't completely prepared until about 1 o'clock in the morning. Woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Got here at 8 o'clock in the morning for worship practice. And it's just been run, run, run. But without support, could not have done it. And, in, and a lot of us are very independent. Like, we don't want to tell somebody when we're going through problems. We don't want to ask for help. We, we, we want to make it on our own. We want to do it all by ourselves. But that is not the way that God has called us to live. Because we have weakness guarantee we have some weaknesses we may all have different weaknesses but we have weaknesses we have blind spots and we're in our weakness jesus is strong and he wants to be strong for you listen he doesn't want you to always be strong and self-sufficient he wants to be sufficient for you because you weren't you weren't sufficient once again you stay in the way you got in that you didn't you didn't come into this family by your work you came into this family by god's work that god died on the cross for your sins according to the scripture he was buried and he rose again, and he, he adopted you into this family, and he wants to take care of you. He wants to be your daddy. He wants to show up when you need him. He wants to, he wants to walk you through this. You have support. You're not self-sufficient. Rely on God. Let him support you. Let him help you. Number six, we have security, because who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I was riding rides at the carnival with my kids last night, like I said. And uh, last year, especially, I remember we'd gotten all the kids on, uh, you know, wasn't sure how, how afraid they would be of the rides. At first, Tegan, especially, was kind of, last year, he was kind of scared, like, no, I'm not going to go on any of the big rides. And then he goes on the uh, big Ferris wheel first, and he's like, well, that's great, you know, and it was a little fast. Like, I was surprised. Ferris wheel is not like a normal Ferris wheel. It's like, all slow. It's like, poof, poof. You know, and I'm like, okay, he's going to be scared. No, he's loving it. He's loving it. He's like, oh, let's go on the next one. He's going on bigger, bigger ones. He's going on the zipper. Finally, finally at the end, I'm like, do you guys want to go on the screamer? Do you guys know what the screamer is? Have you seen that? It's this ride that just goes upside down, you know, and like flips and hangs you. And like, I'm like, do you guys want to go on it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we want to go on it. So, so we get on and, you know, we're out of time. So I can't go with each one of them individually. So me, Tori and Tegan go on this ride and they get in one section. I have to go sit somewhere else. So I can't sit with them. I can't see them. I can't talk to them, you know, and, and as soon as it started, I regretted that. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't be with my kids to comfort them. They're about to freak out. And I knew it. I could, we're going upside down in my ear and it's like, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, like, I'm not too scared of this ride, but I'm like thinking, I feel like I hear screaming back there. And I don't know if that's my kids or not. And I'm thinking like, how safe is this ride? They're pretty small. Like, am my kids going to, like, fall out of the... Ah! Like, being like, I wish I was sitting with them so I could see where they're at. And so they get off. They're perfectly fine, you know. And, and this year, Tori went on it again. Just like She's, like, talking to me all calmly, like, it really feels like you're going to fall out, huh? Like, <laughs> you know, we're upside down, like, yeah, it really feels like... Yeah, it's pretty scary. Um, they're brave kids. They're really brave kids. Um, but... But their rides have to be secure. And I always think about, like, the government's role in that. Um, you know, I know, there, I know there are regulations and people that check on things like that. But really, there doesn't totally have to be 
there there is a purpose with it. I'm glad there are regulations, but I was thinking about it last night that you know we're going on the Ferris wheel, and man, somebody starts rocking it just a little bit. Nope, they pull him back. Get off. Just get out of here. <laughs> like really? Okay, you know, I mean, like they they were pretty intense about it. They're they're watching out for people who might make their ride a little less safe. And I was thinking about why, because I can just see, you know, like somebody's rocking it, flips out, falls out, dead on the ground, bloody. They're not going to like clean up that mess. And then everybody like, go ahead, next person in line. Come on. Like the government doesn't have to tell them that. They know it's going to cut into their profits (laughs) if somebody dies on their ride in front of everybody, right? You're not getting booked for the next place after somebody falls off and dies. Like, this is just capitalism at work that, yeah, we want to make sure this ride is safe so we can keep making money. Uh, and I could just see that that so many people probably look at Christianity from the outside like a ride where everybody keeps falling off. Like, yep, they got saved. And then, ah, I'm not a Christian anymore. You know, I fell into sin. And just, yep, they're going to hell now. Like, you fall off that ride straight into the depths of hell. Because, because... So many Christians don't have any security in Jesus. They don't believe they have any security in Jesus. They don't recognize that they have security in Jesus. They think every time they, they, they stumble, every time they make a mistake, ah, you know, like, if I don't call out in time, yep, burning in hell, might as well just like live like hell from now on. We have security in Jesus, guys. It said, what shall separate us from the love of God? Nothing is the answer that's implied here. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. He already died for your sins, and guess what? He is not going to do it again. Once and for all. There's no, there's no other sacrifice. But one time, Jesus died for your sins. And when you... When you believed in him he said you'd already crossed from death to life and he's you're like yeah but what about you know he says he says you know didn't we do didn't we do wonderful miracles in your name and he says depart from me i never knew you catch that word there never knew you not like i knew you once but then i know what you did on the internet he said, I never knew you. These are people these are people who who worked and tried to sh- in fact they came before Jesus and said, look at how good i did And he said, but I never knew you. Listen, when you believe in Jesus, you've already crossed from death to life. And you have eternal life. And it's going to stay with you. It is eternal, guys. You are part of the family. Sometimes you may not act like the family. Sometimes the rest of the family may not want to be around you because of the way you're living. But you're part of the family. And God is always that father waiting with open arms for his son to run home. The prodigal son may have been a prodigal for a while, but he was still a son. He was a son the whole time. You have security. When you're struggling with your security, it's like every day you don't know which which team you're playing for. You're like, should I tell somebody about Jesus? I don't know because I don't really know if I'm a Christian right now or not. Um, yes, you should. Yes, you should live like you're a Christian. We want that for you. We want you to have that that heavenly life right now on earth. But when you don't, you have an advocate with the Father. And you're still part of the family. And that must have been how how Peter felt. He felt like he'd fallen off the boat. Because Peter had been walking with Jesus every day. And then things get a little bit hard. And he says, no, I never, I I don't know who that is. Nope. 
nope, I'm not one of the disciples. Like, Jesus even warned him about it like 24 hours earlier, and then he's already forgotten. He's like, nope, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, then the shame is the cock crows. And then he's, he comes to Jesus, you know, and, and they're eating fish one day, and Jesus is like, Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you, Jesus. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. And three times again, he asks him, just like three times Peter denied him. He says, do, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And Jesus, I think, was bringing restoration there. You know, it's just like a month later that Peter, who denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed him the most, abandoned him completely, betrayed him. Jesus is then preaching to a crowd of thousands of Jews. He's preaching the gospel for the first time. Yes, you may have stumbled, but you've never gone too far. Supremacy. We have supremacy because in all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, for a long time, America could pretty well boast of its military uh, supremacy. However, now, now Russia and China are putting America in, in, in their place a little bit. We've got, we've got some competition uh, in the military realms. But, it, but in, some ways, in some ways, Russia and China may have America beat. For instance, manpower. They've got more. They've got more people. They've got more in reserves than America. If there was, you know, if it's a man-on-man -man army, you know, and if they've got more manpower, they've got some pretty pretty good nuclear power. Not as much as America, uh, you know. They've got they've got they've got a lot of advantages, but America has one huge advantage over their militaries, and I'm not talking about the fact that we have so many nuclear bombs, uh, but we have alliances. Russia doesn't have a lot of friends. <laughs> China, probably even less. But America's got some friends. And that's something we have to take care of. We've got to take care of these alliances. We have alliances right next door to some of these guys. So that we've got, we've got people who say, yeah, we're going to support you. We've got people who say, yeah, you can, put your, uh, you can put your bombs here if you need to get close up. You know, we've, got, we've got friends. So if there is a war, you know, we've, got, we've got Europe on our side. We've got, we've got a lot of Asia on our side. We've got... And that, that is an important, important factor. It still gives us supremacy. And with Jesus, we have supremacy. Because we have Jesus. We have that most important alliance. You know, uh, there's this song I absolutely love uh, by a band called Sleeping at Last. And this, this part that just says, and it's so, it's so encouraging to me, but it just says, you're enough, you're enough, you're enough. I promise you're enough. And I always sing it, and I'm, for a little while it's kind of like, like, no, maybe, you know, I mean, that's not good. Like, it's not talking about Jesus. It's like, it's almost more like Jesus talking to you. And I'm like, you know, I'm not enough. I'm not enough. And then one day I'm singing it, you know, and it's kind of, it's really ministering to me. And I'm singing it and I'm like, like, Jesus, I'm enough with you. And he's like, duh. Like, when are you ever without me? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. So I am, I am enough. I am. It's okay. You're never without Jesus. You're never without that alliance. You have God on your side. And if God is for you, who can be against you? We will win our battle. The end game has already been written. Now I'm a little different in some ways. I don't, I don't think the middle's written. I think, I think we're, we're exploring that path day by day. But I know that the end has been written. And newsflash, we win. We win. Now, uh, 
I'm, I'm not exactly a Star Wars geek, but I love Star Wars. My son, my son is definitely, definitely a Star Wars dude. You know, if you, if you remember the old movies, the original movie, Obi-Wan Kenobi fighting Darth Vader in this scene, and he tells, tells him, he says, he says, you can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And then he just puts down his sword and lets him. Let's him kill him. Now, how do you win against an enemy that gets stronger when you destroy them? That's, that's what happened with Jesus. That Jesus put down, put down his arm and said, go ahead, take me. You know, Peter, Peter's like, man, I'll get him, cut off the ear of the guard. And he's like, no, they're not taking Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, calm down. Let's put that ear back on. Um, and Jesus lays down his life. And in losing, he wins. Oh, it's hard to beat an enemy like that. The Bible says in James 1, 2, James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Trials aren't good. It's not talking about like, it's not talking about, you know, like, oh, this is really, this is really a trial for me to be up here, no, like preaching in front of you. No, it's talking about like when you're experiencing hardships in your life, when people are, you know, the, what are the trials they're going through at this time when he's writing that? Oh, they're going through persecution. They're seeing people get stoned to death for believing in Jesus. That's the trials they're facing. They're facing literal trials for their lives, like Stephen. But he says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy. How do you beat an enemy like that? Secret is you can't. There's no beating. There's no beating Jesus. The battle is already the Lord's. So, we have sanction because we're on a mission from God. We have solidarity because he came down to our level. He's with us. He's been through everything we've been through. We have supply because he's going to graciously give us all things, whatever you need. We have surety because he justifies us once and for all, forever. He is, he is supporting us. We have support because he is interceding for us. We have security because nothing will separate us from the love of God. And we have supremacy because in all these things, we are more than conquerors. So whatever battle you're going through, whether it's a battle in your mind, whether it's a battle with your finances, whether, whether you've experienced the call of God in your life and you're like, I've heard him say this is what I'm supposed to be doing, but I cannot get there. I, I, a to B just seems like the line is missing, like there's too many roadblocks in the way. Whether the battle is you know, personal, you're battling for your life, you're battling for the life of your kids, your family. You have victory in all these things. You have, you have God on your side. And if God is for us, who shall be against us? Dear Lord Jesus, I want to thank you right now, God, that you humbled yourself and became a man, that you came down to our level, that the God of the universe cared enough about us to do that. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for us and that you died for us, but you didn't stay dead. You rose again and you gave us new life. And God, that because you rose again, you're, you're seated before the Father, making intercession for us, giving us the supply that we need, giving us the support that we need, making sure that we are justified, making sure that we are always, that whenever Jesus, whenever God looks at us, he sees you. He sees your blood that's covered us, that he sees your righteousness. God, I ask right now for this church, whatever battles they're facing, God, in their lives, I ask that you would bring them victory, Jesus. 
God, that they would begin to experience that victory right now in their hearts before they, before they begin to even see it in their lives, that they would begin to see it in their hearts, they'd begin to see it in their mind, that they would begin to see it with eyes of faith, that that victory is theirs right now. And Jesus, I ask that it would come quickly in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus, that you are for us.